we have a podcast that we produce for Buzzsprout that consistently is in the Apple charts. Wow. Brag a lot. <laughs> I'll be honest. I did not even know that that had ever charted. So I was a co-host of that podcast and I don't even know about it. <laughs> had that Alvin bump going for it. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Buzzcast. Once again, being brought to you by our respective home office spaces. Uh, Kevin, Alvin, how are you guys doing? Doing well, Travis. How are you? I'm doing good. See, I remembered how much you appreciated this question in the last episode, so I thought you would really appreciate it if I did the same thing. And last time, Alvin didn't talk, and this time I didn't. Yeah, but Kevin and I I'm just, our great. faces go like, nah, we just, yeah. <laughs> we don't have anything to say. <laughs> well, and I love how we just pretend like we haven't been talking for almost an hour uh, yeah. before we hit record, so... Well, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Long time listener. <laughs> First time caller. Can we do a little follow-up from last week since we're already going into this? Can we do a little like HGTV follow-up, Travis? Because we actually got emails into support that were like, I love like listening along with Travis's HGTV adventures. So uh, are there any new shows for people to watch? <laughs> since this is well, now an all, HGTV this, show. This is the first time I'm hearing this. So I guess you, you could have tagged me in, in support uh, so I could have read, read these notes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> honest, I so my wife and I have shifted to uh, The Crown. So we've that's become our new daily, daily binge is we'll watch episodes of The Crown, um, which is fantastic. It's on Netflix. If you don't live in the US and it's not on your Netflix, you can use NordVPN or some other kind of <laughs> IP generator so you can watch the US version. Uh, but it's really good. And uh, it's kind of HGTV related because they live in a big palace with lots of tapestries and stuff like that. I don't know. <laughs> I thought we, I watched, I saw an HGTV show this week. It is like the new version of the, uh, who's Chip and Joanna, whatever their show was called. Fixer Upper was their show. Fixer Upper, yeah. The new version, I think, is called Hometown with oh, yeah, and the, Aaron. That, that and, couple in Mississippi? Yeah. And, for some reason, it was on the TV the other day. I was walking by, so I stopped and watched it for a few minutes. And they're they're pretty good, like they're very um, relatable. And the budgets and the remodels seem to be more in line with normal, you know, American life. So, anyway, I did see an HGTV show. I watched about ten minutes of it, and I was like, yeah, I can see why people watch this stuff. It's pretty good. There's definitely two camps. There's like the aspirational, oh, I need a summer home in the Maldives. And I'm having this trouble deciding how large of a jacuzzi I need. Right. And then there's the, well, we're going to restore this 1920s rant style home. And the total budget's like 150K. Yeah. So there's there's definitely like both ends of that spectrum. I think it's pretty funny. I saw somebody tweet this once that was like, you how blown away you are when your kids like want to watch YouTube videos of other kids playing with toys. And you're like, what are you doing? Like, that looks so boring. And then so it was like, <laughs> and yet, and then like we go and turn on HGTV where it's just adults like getting their big toy, which is like a house. And I was like, wow, that's the exact same, like exact same <laughs> recipe for entertainment. Yeah. Or watching uh chopped or master chef and imagining what it'd be like if you actually were good at cooking. Yeah, you could just learn to cook. Yeah, but it's so much for fun to see people get chopped. 
<laughs> well, all right. Well, I significantly derailed this. Next time, Travis, just ask me for like a TV show review in the beginning of the episodes, and that will be our lead-in. <laughs> I have a, I have a better idea. Since since apparently we have people that will actually email us when when we ask them to uh, send us your ideas for how we should open the next episode of Buzzcast. Support buzzsprout.com. I'll make sure I read all those, and we'll choose one, and we'll give you a shout out. That would be fun. All right, so that will be our our opening question. Um, so, do we have any podcasting news? Is anything happening in the podcasting industry? Well, it seems like some companies with lots of money are getting serious about podcasting. We've been kind of covering these company acquisitions as they happen, and since the last episode, the next big domino to fall has fallen, and that is that the parent company that includes SiriusXM and Pandora and uh, recently acquired a podcast host, just acquired Stitcher and Midroll, their ad revenue arm, for $325 million. And so now the company that, I think Scripps is like the name of the parent company, owns like all those different elements. Um, And Stitcher is not just the app, they also have in-house production. So they did like the Marvel Wolverine podcast. They've done some other Stitcher Premium stuff. And then they also have the the ad arm mid-roll, which is probably, to my knowledge, other than Art19, probably the most prominent ad group, ad buying group, where you get signed up with them and they hook you up with, with sponsors. And so, so it is interesting to see kind of this acquisition process continue this year um, and start to see these smaller companies getting consolidated into larger groups. Yeah, just to clarify that, Scripps is the company that bought originally bought Stitcher, Midroll, and Earwolf, and then brought that together under the Stitcher name. That was like kind of their podcasting segment. And I think they do like mostly TV. Um, it's kind of their bread and butter. Um, they're doing a lot of TV stuff. And then they just did a big, they've done a big push into other areas of their business. At the same time, Spotify was like, oh, we just dropped half a billion dollars. And they kind of, I think, started going, looking around going, well, shoot, we really need more money if we are going to start competing with the likes of Spotify. Maybe somebody else would be willing to buy, you know, this little portfolio we put together, buy this from us so we can stay on our core business. So Scripps was the selling company, not the buying company. Right. Yeah. yeah they bought most of this a few years ago. Um, but I mean, it's another big entry for Sirius XM. I mean, I actually think that the Earwolf stuff is pretty big. I mean, Earwolf has a ton of good shows. You sometimes I don't realize like how many good podcasts are put out by um, some of these networks. And then you start kind of flipping through and you're like, you know, I started scrolling through the page the other day and I was like, wow, there's just a ton of good shows on here. So Earwolf has done a lot of, you know, interesting things. Yeah, so Sirius XM has definitely made a pretty big entry into podcasting. I mean, they seem like they are now one of the largest players in the space. Yeah, I think this is really good. As much as I don't like what Spotify is doing in the podcasting space, the majority of my concerns come from a place of they're the only ones who are doing it. Right. So they're making massive investments and and big moves in the podcasting space. The reason that that bothers me is because it seems like they're trying to win podcasting and I don't want anybody to win it. I want it to keep growing, but I don't want any one dominant player like what we have in the video space with YouTube. So Sirius coming in, Sirius XM coming in 
and saying, Hey, we have the resources and we're interested in this as well. That's great. And, and, you know, we might talk a little bit later about Apple and what they're doing, but my concerns about Spotify are not solely based on just, Hey, I don't like Spotify for some reason. It's just the, the idea that one company is getting way too much power is what's really concerning. So I think this is, again, my personal opinion, I think this is really healthy and exciting for the podcasting space and good, like having multiple large companies investing and growing the podcasting space, I think will be healthy for independent podcast creators, right? And it, it makes it a lot easier to, to not be uh, cynical, but be optimistic or maybe cynical is not the right word, but not be pessimistic, but be optimistic that, you know, the rising tide does lift all boats. Like this is a healthier way for that tide to rise instead of just one company rising the tide alone. Yeah. Kevin and I have talked about this before offline where even if you have a Netflix in a space, you know, one group, one thing that's dominant, the existence of a Hulu and then later on a Disney plus and all these other things actually makes it. So Netflix has to pay creators good money for their shows and for whoever's making these shows. Well, when they have the option, when they actually can just start shopping among two or three groups, they get quite a bit better deal. And so there's been tons of examples of Netflix paying a lot more money or net or somebody else paying a lot more just because a show is able to be shopped between a few different places. And so now with Sirius XM and Spotify, you could imagine a future where some of the biggest shows, instead of going exclusive to Spotify for kind of something on Spotify's terms, they might be able, if they decide that's the path they want to go down, they can kind of shop between two or three big players and make sure that they are paid the fair market value of what they've created. The other company that I have my eye on that I hope jumps into the space in a big way is Amazon. We talked a couple episodes ago about Amazon expressing an interest in getting more involved in podcasting. And I would be really excited about that. Like, you know, Apple's always been, you know, big in the podcasting space and, but they haven't done a whole lot for better or for worse. They just haven't done a whole lot, even though they have a lot of power and influence, they could do something, but they haven't. And then Spotify started coming on strong in the last couple of years. It's great to see Sirius XM coming in and, and saying, Hey, we're going to compete in this space also in a big way. I would love to also see somebody else. Like it's the, the more we have, the healthier it gets, but I think it gets really healthy around three or four, you know? And so I think Amazon has a, an opportunity to jump in and say, there's going to be three really big companies that are kind of competing in the space and making sure it's healthy and uh, good competitions going on. And no one's trying to squeeze out independent creators or do anything that's, you know, treating them unfairly. And so I would love to see Spotify continue their charge and their surge as long as we, as long as it's balanced and Sirius XM is bringing some balance. I'd love to see Amazon jump in and bring some more balance. And again, we don't know, no one ever knows what Apple's going to do, but I would love to see them do something healthy as well. And Google is the other kind of looming giant that could do something, which is kind of where I, I would put Amazon and Google almost in the same category, simply because Google, they launched Google Podcasts. There's talk that they're eventually going to phase, phase out Google Play Music because they're going to combine the music elements with YouTube music and then put the podcast stuff in Google Podcasts. If you log into your Google Podcast Manager, by the way, there is now a new banner at the top that directs you to migrate your Google pod, your Google Play Music podcasts into Google Podcasts. So they are at least in their own apps and interfaces trying to shift people in that direction. Um, they could do something, but to this point, you know, Google Podcasts is an important directory to be in. 
for internet search purposes, but it's still not a heavy hitter as far as listen volume. But they could, they have the resources, they have the capabilities to jump in there and kind of be that that third heavyweight in addition to Sirius and Spotify, which have just really shown the focus to say we want to be intentional about shaping the future of podcasting and, and how we can grow that as an industry. Well, also, you think it's not just that in the Google Play Music and Google Podcasts world that they've had stuff to do with podcasts, FeedBurner, which... <laughs> You know, people probably don't think about a ton now, which still has a ton of podcasts are uh, using FeedBurner. That's a Google product that they've had for years. Um, you could see them doing some cool things there where they turn FeedBurner into something similar to like a chartable or a pod track where they're actually giving you, you know, stats that you're, you know, if your host maybe doesn't give great stats, you, you could get better stats from FeedBurner. This is not something they've ever shown an interest in, but you could imagine um, they could give charts that would be truly universal because they could be charts that every podcast had access to. There's just lots of interesting things you could see them doing. And they have a core competency in infrastructure, hosting, reliability, and in ad tech. So a lot of the things that everybody is kind of figuring out in the podcasting space and talking about are things that in the past Google has shown to be exceptionally good at you know, and discoverability, really the discoverability and the ad tech are the two greatest things they've ever figured out. So I guess just as a way of wrapping up this segment, another one bites the dust. Somebody else got acquired. People are still making moves in the podcasting space. And we are hopeful and optimistic that it will continue to be a place where independent podcasters can thrive and create and, and uh, make shows that they love. Yeah. And another one bites the dust might not be. <laughs> that sounds like somebody went down. Uh, I don't know that it's bad. Like, I mean, Stitcher is, uh, was, was, they've got a lot of, like Alvin said, a lot of cool content, different opinions on the Stitcher listening app itself. And who knows what SiriusXM's plans are going forward. But I, I don't, at $325 million, this is not an acquisition to shut this down. This is an acquisition uh, that they believe that they can grow and turn into something bigger and healthier. And again, good competition for Spotify. So <laughs> I think good thing overall. Yeah. So bites the dust me, being, being the same as cashing $325 million. I, I, yeah, that, <laughs> may, maybe a better turn of phrase. Yeah. So the next piece of news that we wanted to cover in today's episode was from Spotify that they just announced that they are launching new podcast charts that, in their words, offer listeners a reliable destination for finding the most popular shows and trends. So it is very similar to what Apple does with their category charts. So when you set up your podcast and you're choosing which categories you're in, those are based primarily from Apple. And Apple uses that to organize their content in their app. Spotify had not had something like that until now. And their first iteration, it seems like there's going to be top podcasts, which would be similar to, you know, just the top 200 charts in Apple. Trending podcasts, which could be more like big swings or similar to new and noteworthy, but maybe not with the time uh, constraint that typically uh, Apple puts on those podcasts. And then also the ability to filter your charts based on the country. So right now you would have to use a service like My Podcast Reviews to see reviews from other countries, to see chart data from other countries. I know Chartable has that feature as well. 
So Spotify is putting that directly in the app on the listener side. So you can say, okay, well, what are the top podcasts that are being listened to right now in Germany for true crime or for comedy podcasts or for, you know, things like that? So yeah, so this is a new feature that Spotify rolled out. I'm just curious what you guys, what you guys think about it. Well, one of the big positives is Spotify is really, really good at surfacing new music. And I'm always jealous because I'm on Apple Music and my friends that are on Spotify are constantly sending me like, hey, check out this playlist. Hey, check out this music. And I'm like, Spotify is definitely surfacing better stuff for you than Apple is surfacing for me as far as like just algorithmically figuring out stuff I like. And this seems like Spotify stepping us going, you know, step in that direction saying, hey, let's just talk about what the best shows are. And so I'm guessing this isn't just some raw numbers. Hey, this podcast, you know, Joe Rogan will always be number one and this American life will always be number two, that they're doing more than just that. It's including other statistics to kind of keep it, you know, a fresh listing. So that's pretty cool. And I love like the filtering by countries. I remember this is an older one, but I remember when I was on Spotify music, just flipping around, I'd go see what was like, you know, what's the top hip hop in the UK, you know, and I remember finding different artists that I probably wouldn't have been exposed to in the States. And so it's kind of a cool thing to just flip around and see what's going on in other countries, what podcasts are trending. And you can be a trendsetter here in the States. If you start telling people about what's uh, the hot new podcast coming out of Sweden before it's here. Yeah, I agree. Um, Spotify has one of their keys to success has been their ability to push new content and, and again, traditionally music content in front of listeners, right? I've had that same exact experience that Alvin talks about. Again, I'm not on Spotify, but I do hear what people talk about specifically Spotify premium subscribers say that all the time Spotify is recommending great new music for great new artists, great new songs, whatever. It's what they love about it. I think it's interesting how that kind of, you know, Pandora came out with that being their differentiator, them saying that we're using the genome project and we're going to figure out the, the best songs that you're going to like, the new things that you haven't heard. And then Spotify kind of came on the scene and kind of overtook them very quickly and started doing a much better job of doing that. So for them to, to apply some of that same technology to podcasts makes a lot of sense. I also think there's, there's a parallel with what the, like YouTube's success and YouTube's ability to do that. And we call this like in the content world, it's called discoverability, right? Like how can technology or machine learning help with discoverability of new content that you would be interested in? YouTube has done a fantastic job. I mean, to the point where it's like a lot of people now are like concerned about it. Like they bring, like we talked, was it last episode we talked about rabbit hole podcast? Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, that's a great podcast to listen to if you want to hear about how good YouTube is at discovering your likes or what you'd be interested in and keep you locked into the platform and increase your watch time by just bringing you down these rabbit holes of content. Same thing happens with Spotify very effectively in the music world. Again, it's not as concerning because it's just like this song. If you like this song, you might like this one. It's not necessarily, oh, if you have a tendency to believe this conspiracy theory, then you'll like this conspiracy <laughs> theory. So it's not necessarily as concerning or dangerous. But applying that in the podcasting world is, is something that has been a struggle right? It's a, it's a slightly different nut to crack because, uh, it's, it's not that interests don't align as much in the podcasting world. It's that podcasts are long form content. 
And so if you see like Netflix struggles with this because Netflix is more long form content in order for me to kind of get hooked into something, it's very easy in the YouTube world when the vast majority of videos are like five to 10 minutes or less, even with music. Again, like if I listen to a song and it doesn't happen to be something that I love right away, well, songs are like three minutes. It's not that big of a deal. When you're recommending a TV show or a movie or a podcast, you're talking about a much bigger commitment. And so while I might like podcast X, so then the algorithm thinks I'm going to like podcast Y, I might not like podcast Y in the first two or three minutes. And therefore, I'm not willing to sit through 45 minutes to figure out if I really like it or not. And so discoverability in the podcast world is a much tougher nut to crack. I'm interested to see what Spotify can do with it. But it's been a struggle as long as podcasts have been around. And again, Netflix has the same problem in the, you know, recommending TV shows or movies. You might really like a a TV series that Netflix keeps recommending to you, but it doesn't get good until episode three or four. And it's like, I'm not going to sit through three episodes to figure out why Netflix thinks I'm going to like this. I actually listened to an interview a while back with somebody from Netflix where they were talking about how they know certain shows, people don't get hooked till like episode seven. And they're like, as soon as you hit this episode, we know you will watch the entire season and the entire, you'll follow, always follow the show. And it's just kind of an interesting thought that with YouTube, the barrier to entry is so low. It's a minute of content. And you're like, oh, this is good. Subscribe. Whereas just the job that you're trying to get done you know, is very different from TV where you're kind of looking for a little bit higher bar. And you're like, okay, if I'm going to be committing 10 hours to this TV show, I want to make sure that it's good. Right. Now, someone who's who's done a really good job of kind of cracking this nut has been Joe Rogan. So Joe Rogan's podcasts are super long, like the shortest ones are two hours, the longer ones are four hours, and typically they, they land around three. But when Joe Rogan started really exploding over the past two or three years is when he started doing JRE clips on YouTube. So he would take really interesting, like the most interesting segments of his long three-hour interviews with people and they'd cut eight to 10 minute clips out of those and they'd start posting them to the JRE, whatever, what are they called? JRE clips or something? Is that the name yeah, of the I channel? So. Yeah. And put a sh- pushing them on YouTube. And those things started getting millions of plays really quickly. And then Joe Rogan's podcast numbers started exploding. And again, we didn't host the Joe Rogan experience, so we don't know, but that's when he really started growing. Like everyone undeniably and undisputedly put him as the number one podcast in the world. Hundreds of millions of plays on episodes that are three hours long. It was like unheard of. And it kind of came out of nowhere. And I, tr- I think, again, I don't have evidence to this, but I think it aligns a lot with what he was doing with JR Eclipse on YouTube, because then all of a sudden you're, you know, YouTube wasn't probably promoting a bunch of those three hour YouTube episodes, but they were promoting a lot of those clips episodes. Well, I know he was doing like, I don't know, a hundred interviews a year or something. And they're mostly pretty famous people. And so he's splitting them up instead of saying, do you want to listen to Bernie Sanders for three hours. And for me, the answer is no, but Bernie Sanders thought on universal basic income. I'm like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. Click. And then you hear something right. and you're like, Oh, this is kind of interesting. Maybe I'd listen to that episode. And it's lowering the buried entry. It's, we talk about it a lot with, you know, visual sound bites. It's just a trailer for your episode. You know, it's like a little teaser and you're saying, Hey, if you enjoy this piece, which is a little bit better suited for the YouTube algorithm, then you may enjoy um, the full episodes. And I know that's happened with me that I've never like subscribed to Joe Rogan, but I have listened to episodes because I've seen a guest and been like, oh, 
yeah, I, I like Steven Pinker. That's cool. Oh, I guess he was a guest a few months ago. I'll go listen to that episode. And so you just kind of find things that seem interesting to you. It's able to be surfaced. Right. And, you know, we've talked a lot about using YouTube to grow your podcast audience. And I think that's a great way to do it. Oftentimes, I think the message that gets translated is, hey, I want to start putting my podcast on YouTube. And we say, like, our opinion on that is great. That's a fine thing to do. Just make sure it's real video. So record the video, whether you're doing a Zoom call or if you're in person, set up a couple cameras, record the video and put the video version on YouTube, not just the audio version. And that way you're, you're serving up real video content to a video platform. And it makes sense. And YouTube will actually help you then their algorithm will identify your content as good video content and serve it up and recommend it. It's an effective way to grow your show. Maybe what I want to, the three of us to think about and, and do a little research on is like, maybe we should tweak that opinion a little bit. Maybe it's not about, Hey, let's just take our entire podcast of 45 minutes because even with somebody like Joe Rogan, that wasn't what kind of put him over the edge. What put him over the edge was producing the shorter clips. So fine, record your zoom call, record your, your Skype calls, but then take, find that five minute segment of gold in the middle of that 45 minute interview and start pushing those things first and driving people to subscribe to your podcast to hear the full episode. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a very good point. And there's so many different interesting segments that come out of podcasts and they're not interesting to everybody. There's probably plenty of ep- parts of this podcast that people like some people enjoy this part and some people enjoyed the last one. And when you've split it up into a few different segments, then you have three or four different lottery tickets for a bunch of people to, you know, enjoy and find what you're listening, you're talking about. Bringing it back to the Spotify charts, one conversation I wanted to have is about the relevancy of these charts in terms of measuring like your internal measurements of success because it's nice when you have like award podcast award shows and you know cool i got a new and noteworthy cool i got on these charts uh and they can be kind of become like this is now the standard for what a successful podcast is uh which i'm not downplaying how cool it would be if like you know your podcast showed up on a chart and had never charted before like that would be awesome that'd be something to celebrate but how important is it to have these kind of external metrics for keeping you motivated or for uh, giving you something to shoot for? Is that really the thing that is most sustainable or, or even the healthiest moving forward? Well, from a podcaster perspective, I would say it's not, you shouldn't be thinking like I have to hit those to be successful. Um, we know that's not the case, but you know, one of my friends, her show was just featured in Apple new and noteworthy and they got a bunch more plays and they got a ton more reviews and they got a lot of, uh, you know, they got quite a bit more exposure. You know, it's not tens of thousands of more plays, but it's hundreds of more plays. So, yeah, I think any of that that happens on its own is great. But that's not like this moment where you've arrived and you're done. And now you feel like if you didn't hit it, you didn't succeed. It's just like a nice I, I almost say it's like a bump for Spotify and for actual podcast listeners. It's great because it's hard to find podcasts. And so anything that aids in the discoverability of podcasts is a positive um, because you, you know, once people find two or three, that are good. They're going, Hey, maybe there's like six or seven that I would be interested in and I could kind of flip between them. So I'm all about it, but I really would say, you know, you don't, your show doesn't need to have tens of thousands of listeners to be successful. And if that your goal is that you have to be on these charts and you have to have those numbers to be successful, 
it's going to be a much tougher road than if you were saying, I really think I want to be somewhere like 500 to a thousand true fans for my podcast is a totally different mindset. Yeah. I'm not the biggest believer in charts being super important for independent podcasters. I mean, I think even the most conservative estimates, we'd probably say that there's, there's about 250,000, maybe 300,000 active podcasts that are circulating in the world right now. And when I say active, I mean, just kind of publishing on a regular basis. There's over a million total, but let's just say 300,000 that you're probably, if you're, if you're publishing on a weekly by weekly or on a minimum monthly basis that you're probably competing with to find new listeners, the, the vast majority of that, I mean, 300,000 and how many of these in charts if you had like a, a full chart set, like Spotify's full chart set, Apple podcast, full chart set, maybe highlights what 200, 250, 300 podcast tops. And so it's it, to set that as a goal is, man, that's a really big, hairy, audacious goal and not one that many people are going to achieve regardless of how good of a job that you do producing your podcast. And so I don't feel like it's a healthy thing to shoot for. I think it's a wonderful thing to celebrate if it does happen to happen. But like Alvin said, that's not going to be the difference of whether you're successful or not. We encourage all of and anybody who starts a podcast to try to, you know, before you start, before you record that first episode, figure out why you're podcasting in the first place so that you have something to measure your success against. And charting, I would say, it should not be on that list. Again, like if you're New York Times, if you're Earwolf, if you're, you know, whatever, Joe Rogan's getting ready to, to launch some new show or something like that, then your expectation might be that I am going to chart because we're, this is a massive production. If you are a, a local realtor and you're saying, hey, I want to put out a message about what's happening in the real estate market in my town, then charting should not be on your list of goals. And one last thing that I wanted to just throw out there in the conversation about charts and how relevant they are and how much you should care about them. We have a podcast that we produce for Buzzsprout that consistently is in the Apple charts. So how to start a podcast. Wow. The, first a pod, <laughs> the first podcast that we ever launched is constantly in the, the Apple podcast charts. I think today, as of today, it's in it's number 22 in the how-to chart, which will put it in the top 100 of the education podcasts. But this is probably the first time you're ever hearing about it because we don't even really talk about it internally. Like, that's not something that we say, look, this podcast is finally successful because we're in the Apple charts. I'll right? be honest. I did not even know that that had ever charted. So I was a co-host of that podcast and I don't even know about it. <laughs> had that Alvin bump going for it. So we internally don't even see charts as like a, a milestone to vet whether we should keep doing something or not or whether something was successful or not. Because it's just not something that you can predict. It's not something that you can count on. And even if you hit the charts one day, it doesn't mean that that is going to lead to ultimate sustained success. The hundred, the, the thousand true fan model really serving your core audience, that is what consistently has turned out to be the better focus and the better strategy for independent podcasters. All right. Well, to wrap up, uh, we're going to do our uh, this series of podcast legal talk where we jump into the top lawsuits in the podcasting industry. There's one that's kind of interesting to us that I thought it'd be interesting to highlight is Jones v. Gimlet. This is an ADA lawsuit where somebody is suing uh, Gimlet, who produces tons of podcasts, asking them to comply with ADA to provide closed 
captioning for their podcasts. So I don't think um, my like very rudimentary reading of this is it's probably not super likely to be successful, but it raises a lot of interesting points around accessibility and what podcasters should be doing. We talk about transcripts a lot, but what we should be doing as far as you know, serving people who are hard of hearing or deaf. Wanted to hear your thoughts on it. Well, and for those of you who don't know what ADA stands for, it's referring to the Americans with Disabilities Act, uh, which was something that was passed here in the States, essentially saying businesses need to make their services available to people with disabilities. And the big thing was like, if you have stairs leading up into your place of business, you have to have a ramp that's ADA compliant. So people that can't climb stairs can get in or buildings need to put elevators in so people can go up and down. So th- this is, I think, I think one of the, th- the reasons that platforms sometimes win over protocols. And, it, and when we say platforms and protocols, let's just uh, easier way to think about that is like, why does an ecosystem like YouTube end up winning in the video space over like an open protocol of, of sharing video online? And, and one of the reasons is, is things like this. When you're in an ecosystem where things are open, it is up to the individual creators to solve problems like this and address problems like this, which is why as a participator in the open podcast ecosystem, Buzzsprout makes things like transcripts available to creators, but it's still dependent upon those creators using those tools to apply transcripts to their episodes. And we can talk about in a second, the, the slight difference between transcripts versus closed captioning. Now, when you look at a platform like YouTube, they don't have a choice because they've gotten big enough where they would be a target for a lawsuit if they didn't provide some sort of good accessibility features across the board, whether it be for, you know, for any disability. And so when you upload a video to YouTube right now, whether you provide captions or not, or you provide a transcript or not, they've had to build into their platform, the ability for the platform to create those automatically. Now they might not be perfect, but they're, they're doing something and then they're providing creators an ability to go in there and correct them and make them perfect. So why Buzzsprout is a big believer in transcripts and we provide the tools is because if we don't figure this out as an open community, then uh, we're going to have problems like this where lawsuits start getting filed and sooner or later, some of these are going to start winning and platforms are going to start emerging, I think. And platforms that provide solutions to like, like this, like Spotify would probably provide a solution like this and it would strengthen their platform. So I, the, the solution is not for this to like lose in court because the reality is that this is a good thing. Transcripts are good and making your podcast accessible to more people is good. The solution is that as a creator community, we have to develop tools that make it easy to be able to provide these things. And then as creators, we have to understand the importance and value of it and create them. But we have to, as we build and expand upon these open systems to remain open, we have to be doing the right things. And so I look at a lot of other podcast hosts and have conversations routinely when we see them in person or online and, and asking the questions like, why are you not providing transcript tools to your podcasters? And why are you not putting this message out there that it's important thing for them to be doing and making it easy for them to do it and make sure it's affordable for them to do it? Because if we don't solve these problems, somebody is going to come along and solve them. And the barrier of entry of doing it on an independent way in an open way is going to start to become too high for us to be able to compete with the platform. And when the platform wins, then we've got that whole mess of problems that we talk about all the time that like already exists in the Facebook world and the YouTube world where you're playing in their, on their ball field. So they get to set the rules. So that's a long way of me saying, 
gosh, if you love the open podcast ecosystem that exists now and being able to control when you publish and how you publish and not having to play by the monetization rules of someone else, then we need to look at things like transcripts and closed captioning and accessibility of our content. And we need to be serious about it. And we need to be on platforms or we need to be using tools that allow us to do these things because they're the right thing to do. Not just, uh, should I be doing transcripts for the SEO benefit? Whether that exists or not doesn't change the conversation around, is this the right thing to be doing? Yeah, I don't have anything to add to that, Kevin. I thought that was well said. Uh, So I guess I'll pivot to the difference between transcripts and closed captions. So a transcript is literally just like a page or a document that is all the words that you said. And they can be organized in different ways and edited and, and formatted in different ways. But essentially, that's that's what it is. It's just the printout of all the words. So a closed caption would then be you're reading the words as they're being said in real time. That it's... Am I, am I defining these things correctly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, think of closed captions when you're watching TV and as the people are speaking the words, the words are timed up. The, the written word is timed up with the audio and video. Same thing can exist in the podcasting world. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, think about the ability to whatever podcast app you're in, switch into closed caption mode or lyrics mode or whatever. A lot of music apps do this now. You switch into lyrics mode and it's highlighting the lyrics as the music's hitting that point. That is a better experience than transcript. Well, I'd say different, but in most cases, better for people who are hard of hearing versus fully deaf. So fully deaf is a, um, no hearing ability at all. There's no benefit for them to be playing the audio while it's being highlighted. A transcript is a good solution for them. And on the technology side, we have the ability to do both with the same file. So with a closed caption file, you can ignore the timestamps and just display the text. And with a transcript file, uh, typically doesn't include the, like the fidelity of timestamp for us to be able to do a closed captions. So what we've done on the Buzzsprout side is we've said, hey, anytime we import a transcript in, the higher fidelity that transcript, the better for us. And when we say like fidelity, we mean the number of timestamps. And the ultimate goal is to have a timestamp associated with every single word. But we don't always get that depending on how you transcribe your podcast. And a lot of people write their own transcripts, so they include very little timestamp information at all and sometimes none. What we're trying to do is collect the highest fidelity transcripts possible so that at a Buzzsprout level, we have the data. And then as podcast apps start incorporating and using this, we can provide them the highest fidelity versions of transcripts possible so that they could then display a transcript and or a closed caption solution depending on you know, the, the functionality of the app. Yeah, and I'll leave a link in the show notes to uh, an article where we walk through exactly how you can add transcripts in Buzzsprout if you've never done it before. It's super easy to do. But that wraps it up for this episode of Buzzcast. Call to action today is to send us an email at support at buzzsprout.com with ideas for how we should intro the show in two weeks. And then if we choose your segment topic, we'll give you a shout out and we'll talk about whatever you want to want us to talk about. But that does it for us and we'll catch you in the next one.